Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. When you think about the idea of things that truly matter and edifying the church, what first springs to your mind? What, what is it that enters your mind that you think of when you think about that topic of edifying the church? Now, this is something that's worthy of much study. So I'm just going to try to hit some high points tonight. I have something that helps me out when I'm trying to present something or prepare something, and those are, those are just a, a few little words. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And so what we're going to be talking about tonight is we're going to be using those words to talk about edifying the local church. But before we do that, I'd like you all to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we could read all the way through verse 23, but we're just going to read verse 11 to set the tone for what we want to discuss tonight. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. What you get the idea from is, as Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, is this is something that's a common practice for them. And I believe, for us, as New Testament Christians, the idea of edifying the local church should be something that is common practice. But it's hard to establish a common practice when you're not exactly sure what the practice is, or how to pull it off, or why you should, or where you should, or who you should do it to. So let's talk, first of all, about what it is. You've all heard all of the stories before about edification is like building something, where we get the idea of an edifice for a building. And so we have that idea of building something up. But if you think about what that actually means to edify the local church, you might think things like it's to train and to educate and to strengthen and to encourage. Now, you all have an excellent education program here. You have excellent preachers and excellent speakers. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's also that idea of edifying, encouraging one another. The greatest preacher in the brotherhood can't do anything without anybody to back him up. You can be a great speaker, and if you don't have great listeners, you won't get anything done. The edification of the local church isn't something that's just done by one or two people. It's something that we all can take part in. Now, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. If you mark in your Bible, I'm going to call your attention to the occurrence of one word three times in what we're going to read. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11, the Bible reads, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, 
some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We refer to this verse all the time to talk about some of what we refer to as the offices in the New Testament church. Some of those, of course, we don't have anymore. We don't have apostles anymore, but, but some of them we certainly do. And so when you think about those offices in the church, I'd like you to now turn your attention to verse 12. Okay, and the word that appears three times that I think you want to make sure you pay attention to is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So those, those offices, those people who are put in those places, that, that's what that's for, that God had a purpose in that, that that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And you might read that and think to yourself, well, that means, okay, that, that that work of ministry, that edifying of the church, well, that's just a leadership question. No, that's where we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, and we see it's kind of, that's an everybody thing. But if you think about the passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, that is mostly the training aspect of edification. Certainly when we have a Bible class, we want the person who's teaching the Bible class to have some kind of a clue about what they're talking about. But if you're looking at the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, and you read that down, that has more to do with the encouragement aspect of edification. So whether we're doing it by education or whether we're doing it by encouragement, our goal for one another is edification. Let's look at some examples. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I have always found this very, very interesting. I love to study the uh, conversion of the Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopian, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. I think part of the reason for that is the amount of time that I have done uh, prison ministry. It's interesting how well that resonates with people. The idea that both the prisoners and the jailer are arrested by the events. They, that this is something that really draws attention to them. But one of the things that we oftentimes, we have to make sure that we catch as we're seeing this and we're, we're hearing this, and, and Paul as, is, well, you go ahead and go, okay? The jailer says, he goes, no, no. He says, they, they, no, no, they broke the law. They're going to come here and ask us to leave. But after he leaves, there in uh, verse 40, it says, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Have you ever thought about that? There is Paul encouraging the infant church there at Philippi after his ordeal in the jail. What, what's his first intention after he actually comes out of there? Well, he's going to go and he's going to encourage the brethren, including Lydia. Have you ever thought about when you're reading the book of Philippians, okay, as you're going along later, it's like, man, I wonder... I wonder what Lydia thought when she got this. I wonder if the Philippian jailer was still stationed there. I wonder, if, I wonder if they were part of that encouraging group of people that helped Paul in his ministry. Now, I'd like you to also notice in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19 that Paul, we understand Paul's an apostle, He's a leader in the church. He, he, we, we expect him to be encouraging, right? But do you know what? Paul received encouragement too. 
In chapter 2, in verse 19, Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. It is a wonderful thing as a gospel preacher to know that there are faithful congregations of God's people who are fully executing his will to the best of their ability. It's a pleasure to know that. It's an encouragement, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, well, I'm, I'm glad I sent, I'm going to send Timothy, and I know when he comes back, he's going to tell me y'all are doing good, and it's, it's going to be very encouraging for me. Edification is something that also goes the other direction. Now, let me ask you a question when it comes to that. What would you do? How would you encourage someone? You might say, well, I I might encourage them to uh, come to some program that we're going to have, preferably when we get a speaker that has hair. Or maybe we might say something like, well, I'm going to encourage them to come to the Dorcas class, or I should say maybe activity. We're going to put some stuff together. Or maybe there's a sing somewhere, and I'm going to encourage someone to come to the sing. And we think about that type of thing. But think something now for yourself, right now for yourself. Who could I encourage that I've never encouraged before? What could I encourage somebody in that I haven't encouraged somebody with before? See, I can't answer that question for you. You can answer that question. You know in your heart of hearts where where you could put in some effort. Second of all, when do we edify? When should we edify? At the first impulse. Let me share with you one of my failings as a Christian and see if you can identify with this at all. Every once in a while, I'll get this idea, I should say something to them. I should encourage them. I should do this thing or I should do that thing. And then the impulse goes away. I don't act on it right away, so the impulse goes away. I'll be thinking, well, you know, I I could say something nice. I could say something encouraging. Or I could invite such and such a person over for dinner. Or maybe I could just go mow somebody's grass. It's been well said that sometimes what we'll do is we'll go to the house of a woman who has a newborn baby. We'll walk in the door, okay, and all of you with newborn babies, I'm not talking about you. And the, the sink is full of dishes, you know, and, and, and there's a pile of laundry somewhere. And, and you know, and, and she's apologizing over and over again because the house isn't spotless. And we tell them that we love them and we say, if there's ever anything I can do. When our impulse was, well, you know what, I can put wash in the washer. Now, nobody would let me put wash in the washer, but if it was dawn, it'd be safe. I can wash dishes. That I can do. Too many times we let ourselves, we we're held back with the impulses there, the impulses there to edify, to build up, to encourage, and we wait. Well, I'll do it wrong. 
or I'll say something wrong, or they'll take it wrong. You know what, maybe that's all true. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else holding us back. One of my favorite sayings of all time, which I wish I lived up to better, is the smallest deed is better than the grandest intention. The smallest deed is better than the grandest intention. Someday I'm going to memorize the entire book of James. Well, maybe I'll just memorize James 1.27. You see what I'm saying, everybody? I think you do. Do you know one of the things that we learn from Jesus is he constantly executes. Now, I don't mean he goes around executing people. I mean, there's, there's, he, just always, he just always gets right to it. He always goes right to it. He's always right after it. That's one of the things that we love about him. Do you remember when the centurion sent people to talk to him and said, hey, my servant is really grievously tormented. Oh, I'll come and heal him right away. No, I'm not worthy you should come under my roof. I know you have authority over this illness because I'm a man under authority. Do you remember what Jesus said about him? In Luke chapter 7 and verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Do you know what Jesus immediately did with this? He used it as an opportunity to compliment the faith of the centurion publicly and to show him as an example to everybody else. He's basically saying, look at this guy. Y'all need to be more like this guy. I don't say y'all right, you guys, because I'm normally saying you guys, but, you know, that's just something you'll have to deal with, I guess. Sometimes... It's not about that the impulse is there and we just let it kind of pass. Sometimes we just don't want to. Sometimes we're just not feeling it. Sometimes, you know, we're just low. And we don't want to encourage anybody else because we want somebody to encourage us. We we, we fall into this self-defeating kind of a trap. It's kind of like this downward spiral where it's like, well, I'll encourage somebody else as soon as someone encourages me. Well, the time to encourage people, the best time might be when you don't feel it. When it's not there. I want to take you to the cross. Do you have a hard time thinking about Jesus being crucified? I have a hard time thinking about Jesus. I don't mean it's hard for me to think about. I mean, it tears me up. It really, really gets to me. I don't present a whole lot of lessons on all the gory details of crucifixion, not because I don't think it needs to be taught. It's just when I present them, they're really hard for me to get through. I I used to say when I was inside the prison, Again, okay, it's amazing how these men who know, don't even know what the books of the Bible are, how easily their attention is arrested by the stories in Scripture. And when I say to them, crucifixion is death by torture. They were deliberately trying to hurt him as much as they can. They were trying to make him suffer the best way they knew how. That's what they were doing. Do you think Jesus felt like 
he really wanted to be encouraging people as he was hanging on the cross? I don't think I would have been worried about anybody but me. But that's not the Lord. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 42, when the thief repents, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know, brethren, I'd really encourage you to think about how that conversation must have gone. As the thief pushed himself up on the cross to try to get enough air in his lungs to make that statement to the Lord, knowing that Jesus with his flogged back, had to do the same thing so that he could say, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Sometimes we need to encourage people when we don't feel it because we're Christians and that means we follow Jesus Christ. And what he says, we want to emulate to the very best of our ability. He's our hero. He's the guy we want to follow. He's the one we want to be like. And we love him for it. The toughest, greatest man that ever lived encouraged somebody while he was being tortured to death. Certainly we can work on that a little. Now don't go home and feel bad about yourself. Don't go home and beat yourself up and say, oh, that's Mark was right, I'm a terrible person, I never encourage anybody. Don't do that. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to feel defeated and that you're not any good and everything like that. Don't buy that. Jesus sees our value. Some way, sometimes the best way to be encouraged is to encourage others. You'll find that, everybody. A lot of times when you're down, when you, especially when you feel like your faith is really taking a beating and things like that, that's the time to share it with other people. That's the time to share with them the truths that you know are facts. You know why? Because you're listening too. Now ask yourself, when? When should I encourage other people? Mark says that I, I should do it at the first impulse. And Mark says that I should do it when I'm not feeling it. But what do you say? What do you feel in your own heart, in your own mind, as you're studying your Bible and you're saying, well, is there any other things that I can learn from God's Word that tells me a little bit about edification? We're going to get to that in just a minute. Now, let's talk a little bit about who. We talked about what it is. We talked about when to do it. Now I want to talk a little bit about who. Let me tell you who I believe Everyone in this congregation has to be very, very concerned about encouraging and building up. First of all, the elders. That's a tough job. To be a faithful elder in the Lord's church is a tough job. It means sleepless nights. And it means worry. Uh, not the kind of worry like the world does, but you, you're concerned about people. You have things going on. It means you're trying to have a vision for the future. You're trying to get people to heaven. You've been entrusted with the highest office that exists this side of heaven. When was the last time that you actually went up to the elders and said, we've got your back. 
We love you. And I'm not talking about when somebody says it from up here like I'm doing right now. I'm talking about you. We appreciate you. We understand what we have here. How about their wives? How'd you like that job, ladies? To be the one, you know your husband's upset, you know he's been out of shape about something, but he can't tell you what it's all about because he has to keep it to himself. You know something's up. What about them? How about the preachers? You know, Glenn Colley is a great preacher. I know you all know that, but he is. He's a great preacher. The work that he does outside of this building, as far as marriage seminars and and helping out future elders and present elders and everything like that, that's great work. And what about Paul? I never got to hear Paul speak until about three, four weeks ago. I don't do the live stream thing very much, so that's, that's not on him, that's on me. But he did a great job. Really good job. Glenn was gone. Paul just stepped in there like he did it every week, right? What about their wives? Tough job. I believe it was three weeks ago. One of the men of the congregation presented the devotional. And I got to admit, I was feeling pretty low. Things have not been going my way for several months now. Now I was feeling pretty low. And he started out saying, said, ask yourself this question, are you happy? And I'm thinking, no. He said, now hold that thought. Later on, he said, said now ask yourself this question, are you blessed? Yeah. This congregation is full of other men who also know the word of God and can share it too. What about them? What about the women in this congregation that do stuff that nobody ever knows anything about? What about them? Sometimes we kind of get hung up on this thing. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to be fake. And everything. Okay, fine. Then wait for the right impulse. But when it comes to you, say it. And be part of things. And help out. When we think about edification, when we think about encouragement, we think of people like the weak, right? We, we, have to, we have to go out. What about those people that haven't been here in three weeks and they're starting to kind of wobble? Okay, yeah, them too. But we think about those. We think about the sick. What about those who were just discouraged? Those that life has just ganged up on them. Who would you do it with? You don't have to use my list. You don't have to think about that. You can add other people to that. Who else is flying under my radar that I need to figure out? How are you going to do it, everybody? How do you edify, build up? How do you encourage? How do you do it? I have three things for you on this one. The first one is mostly what I've been talking about. You do it verbally. 
with the words that come out of your mouth. You know, after Paul had read, well, I believe that Paul wrote the letter of Hebrews assisted by Luke. I apologize. I say that from time to time. The Hebrew writer, after he had read the riot act to the people to whom the book was addressed, he then goes and says in chapter 6 and verse 9, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Do you know what he's basically saying? He's basically saying that y'all are better than this. He's writing to them because they want to turn their back on Christianity, saying, well, I've just, you know, again, he just read them a riot act. Okay, now you're better than this. Everybody, when you talk to somebody else, if you have to have a conversation that is corrective in nature, one of the things that you say to people is that you understand that they're better than that. Do you know what is one of the most amazing things about God? Again, this is something I love to tell the guys in the prison. God sees us, and he sees what we can be. You all understand what I mean by that? He, he can look at us, and he can see what we can be, how useful we can be, how faithful we can be, how much we can amount to. Can we do that for one another? Can we have the kind of faith in our brothers and sisters in Christ where we're putting it to them and saying, well, you're, you're better than this. I, I know you're better than this. Do you know that that little spark of having someone believe in you can make all the difference in the world? God always believes in us. That's why he represents himself to us as that father stretching out his hands to the prodigal son. We can encourage people verbally. That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Upon every remembrance of you. Do you know, it's interesting, there was a young man that left this, I can't remember his name right now, I apologize for that. There's a young man that left this congregation, I believe, went back to Connecticut or New York or something like that. I guarantee you, upon every remembrance of you all, when he's there, he's going to thank God that he got to be here for a while. I'm from the north, I know what it's like. You say Church of Christ and people say, what? what, what what's that? You can encourage and edify people physically. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, we have a brief glimpse, just a glimpse, into some of the relationships that Paul had with what we might refer to as, quote-unquote, ordinary Christians. That's a misnomer, everybody. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. Okay. We cannot think of ourselves as ordinary Christians. The great God of heaven sent his son to die on the cross for you and me. We're not ordinary, everyone. We're his children. But in Acts chapter 20, in verse 1, it says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the, his, unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. He hugged them. Sometimes... Words are going to fail, and all you can do is give somebody a hug. You know, I mean, sometimes you encourage people okay, physically. Do you remember when Jesus touched the leper? 
to heal him? That man hadn't been touched by another human being that wasn't infected by leprosy in a long time. And by, by touching him and healing him, he was going to be able to go home and go to his family okay, and be able to touch them. Sometimes one of the things we can do to encourage and to edify, maybe somebody just needs a hug. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse 9, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. You know, everybody, a handshake matters. There's people, I have to be honest with you, in this world, I have a lot of difficulty shaking their hand. I, if I knew someone was an abortionist, I couldn't shake their hand. I, I would feel unclean. I'm just being honest. A handshake means something. That, that right hand of fellowship they're talking about there, I, I'm, we're, we're on the same team. We're on the same side. We say serve the same Lord. We, we, we kind of like have taken the handshake and we've, we've made it into this, oh, well, here, shake, 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 you know. Just got to shake everybody out. Even, you know, fall into that. The handshake matters, everybody. It's a, that's that human touch. And then, verbally, physically, maybe this is physically too, but I don't have it categorized that way. You can encourage and edify, you can build up just by your presence. Do you know Job's friends didn't actually mess it up until they opened their mouth and started to talk? When they showed up and they just sat with him in all of his misery, they didn't mess it up until they started to talk. Sometimes, okay, all you can do is, is, is your mere presence. Everybody, this is part of the reason why it matters to be here every time the doors are open. Before I was a preacher, I worked secular work. I was in the restaurant business, and I thought I was as tired as I was ever going to be in my life until I got old. Now I'm just tired all the time. I would stumble in there on a Wednesday night. I was, I was still fairly young in my faith. I would stumble in there on a Wednesday night, and I, I had had as much as I could handle of the world. It had only been from Sunday to Wednesday. And I would, I would get in there and I would sit down and, and, you know, we would sing some songs. We'd have our Bible study. And, you know, it was a very, very small group, relatively speaking, back there in Pennsylvania on the outskirts of Philadelphia. I cannot begin to tell you how much I valued that. It was great to be there. It was great for them that Dawn and I and our two small children were there. See, the Lord knows what we're actually like. God, who made us, who wrote the manual, he gets it. And we need to be together. We need each other. Now, I want to, again, I want to take you back a little further to the cross. I want you to think about Gethsemane. Remember Jesus went and fell on his face? to pray. Do you remember what he said? You wait here while I go over there and pray. Do you remember how disappointed he was when he came back? Do you know what Jesus, 
He just wanted them there. They couldn't make it better. They couldn't fix it. There was nothing they could do about it. Jesus knew it was all up to the Father. That's what his prayer reveals to us. But do you know what? Jesus just wanted them there. We can learn that from him, can't we? How about why? Why should we encourage? Why should we edify? Why should we educate? Why why should all of this be part of the way we think, again, as New Testament Christians? It's good for us. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and builded up in him, and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. It's good for us, everybody. If it was all just about self-interest, it's good. When you build up other people, it, 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 it feels good. And you know what? The more you build up other people, the more they are inclined to build you up. Or maybe more importantly, to build somebody else up. More than anything else, the reason why is this. Did you know, okay, I guess it was probably about two years ago, did you guys see this thing that was going around? Okay, it was kind of like, a, I think it was a Facebook meme or something like that, and it said, because reasons. How many of you saw that? But on the show of hands, how many of you saw things that because reasons? I thought that was funny, because reasons. I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's cool, I like that. So, had some teens, okay, put some questions in the question box. Okay, and I thought, okay. And so I did a series, and the series was called Because Jesus. The reasons that we edify, the reason that we educate, the reason that we encourage is because Jesus. Because Jesus is a perfect answer, everyone, if you think about it. Because Jesus, I'm a father, okay? It's like I, I, I am one of those fathers that believe because I'm your father and I said so is a complete and perfect answer all by itself. And so when somebody says, why should I do this? Or, or, or what's this? I say, because Jesus. We do what we do because of him. To please him. To help him. To show our love for him. To stick with him. Because Jesus is a perfect answer. Everyone, the bride of Christ must be salt and light until the bridegroom returns. We are holding the line. When I see everything out in that world and people are are talking about, oh, isn't this a terrible thing? And isn't this a terrible thing? And isn't this an awful thing? And they're all right. It is. And then I walk in here. And you might think, well, there's only a few of us, even here in Huntsville, Alabama. There's only a few of us. (laughs) We don't ever want to forget that, okay? One in God is an army. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Everybody, we should be the kind of people that edify and encourage to the point that people in the outside world say, I want to be one of them Christians. I want to be with them. Things that truly matter, everybody. Edifying the church. You and I are the church. We are the blood-bought children of God. Our elder brother paid the ransom for us to be able to go home. We have everything to be joyful and happy about. Because Jesus. I appreciate your kind attention. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.